Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> I send greetings and welcome to Movie Oubliette, the intercontinental podcast for forgotten fantastical films, with me, Conrad, trying to think of something interesting to say in Cambridge, UK. <laughs> and me, Dan, finally going to the movies again in Melbourne, Australia. Ooh. We focus on sci-fi, fantasy and horror films because we love being abducted by aliens at gunpoint, magical glowing balls and freakish stretchy babies with glowing heads. Dan, <laughs> yes. how are you? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. And and you, Conrad? Yeah, not too bad. Just feeling a little bit flat at the moment. I guess it's just a time of year. But mm. you've managed to get out there and do something for a change, which must be nice. Yes, yes. I've been going to the boobies again. The mm. cinemas are open. I uh, went to see the one of the many Marvel movies out at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Simultaneously <laughs> out. Uh, the movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, oh. It was good. How did you like it? Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Lots of martial arts and... A lot of fantasy elements that I wasn't expecting. So, yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, heartfelt stuff. And all of the action scenes were surprisingly physical, weighty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just blurs of feet and hands. You could actually <laughs> see everything very well choreographed. And also just not, I feel like it wasn't pandering to the Western mm. audience either. Like a good portion of it is all in Chinese with subtitles. Yeah. Yeah, really good. And and yeah. some of the scenes I've only seen in animation form and seeing it right. as a live action, like, well, I was, yeah, yeah, pretty impressed. Yeah, I was impressed with some of the fighting in that it looked beautiful as well. Yeah. It was actually yeah. beautiful to look at, yes. really graceful and dexterous and amazing to look at. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Quite a feast for the eyes, I thought, that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and other things that I have done, just quickly, I made kimchi today, Ooh. which is, uh, I don't know whether you know what kimchi is, it's a Korean <laughs> ch a chili fermented cabbage pickle. Oh. Uh, so I made oh. that. Uh, I also have got a new synth. Surprise, surprise. Because <laughs> I <laughs> cannot stop oh, buying yeah. synthesizers. Got the Alturia Microfreak. And uh, last bit of news, I totally failed in watching all of the Friday 13th movies in October. I have currently at this stage watched the first one and 20 minutes of the second one. <laughs> oh, no. So, That's pitiful. <laughs> I know. I just ran out of time. Yeah, I just did not uh, follow through with that. Oh, no. Unfortunately. Well, we might we may be mentioning Friday the Thirteenth in today's podcast, oddly enough. So oh, okay, we shall see. okay, okay. What, what have you been it doing, Conrad, up. with your week? Absolutely nothing. No, I've just <laughs> been going, going to work, and just you know, the dark nights are closing in, and yeah, I've just been finding myself feeling a little bit low, oh. but hopefully. 
today will change that. I've been looking forward to the film we're going to talk about today, so mm. it should be fun. Mm. And also, of course, uh, not to be too presumptuous, but uh, Christmas is just around the corner, which you do enjoy. So, I love Christmas, yes, but I'm becoming increasingly worried that it's going to be cancelled again here oh, in the UK. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Because... Things aren't looking good here. Lots of friends getting COVID and being very ill. So it's oh been a tough week. Oh, wow. <laughs> but life goes on. Yes, indeed. So, Conrad, have the listeners been talking to us? What, what's in the mailbag today? Well, we have two new patrons to uh, welcome to the fold, Filippo Ooh. and Christopher. Welcome aboard. Great to have you as supporters of the show. Hey, hey, welcome. Yes. And one of our long-standing patrons, Eva, got in touch to say, Hello to you both. Just wrapped up fire in the sky and all your gushing over CGI jolted my memory. Captain Disillusion has an in-depth and reverential video about the incredible special effects in Flight of the Navigator, which you've definitely brought up before. Mm. It's always wonderful to hear people take notice of work that isn't supposed to be noticed noticed at all and Eva is right I watched that video yesterday and it is fascinating he goes over it with meticulous forensic detail to figure out exactly what technique was used in every shot wow it's really good wow. really good yes we're all about yeah. those details we are so thanks for letting us know about that Eva that's yeah I can thoroughly recommend it Matthew Jacobs the writer of Paper House got in touch to say oh, yes. that he finally listened to our Paper House episode with oh. Bernard Rose and he said, interesting, concise perspectives all around, definitely worth playing whilst cleaning your very own Paper House. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a compliment. Yeah. On Fire in the Sky, we also heard from Joe Marin, who said, best alien abduction movie I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. I would probably agree with that. Yeah, I think it's probably the standard, isn't it? The benchmark. Mm. Luis Saavedra got in touch to say, gave me pesadilla, which I believe is nightmares. <laughs> I had to put it into Google Translate. <laughs> Jean-Philippe Bernier of Le Matos said, man, that movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it seems to be the running trend. <laughs> it does, yes. Uh, Demon Jacket said, I saw this post before listening to the episode and was shocked to learn that this is in not in fact Paul Rudd. <laughs> 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 because you mistook D.B. Sweetie for Paul Rudd throughout the whole movie. Did he? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. He totally looks like Paul Rudd. <laughs> it's amazing. But D.B. Sweeney, the man himself, did get in touch when we he? tweeted about the fact... Yes, when we <laughs> tweeted about the fact that he thought this movie might get him the role of Spider-Man. He replied and said, true story. Oh, we heard it from the man himself. <laughs> we did, so absolutely true. And finally, we heard from Surge of Cold Crash Pictures. <laughs> hey, Surge. Hey, Serge. And he said, plenty of sci-fi thrillers ask the question, what if I were abducted by aliens? But only Fire in the Sky has the guts to ask, what if I were abducted by aliens and no one believed me? Mm. Granted, if you don't actually live with that fear, you might not get much mileage out of it. I'm being pithy. It's an interesting story and it's made well. It just happens to explore what I think are the least interesting <laughs> aspects. <laughs> 
like the preoccupation with polygraphs, which Travis actually failed at least once after the film was released. And of course, that scene is incredible. Gave me so many nightmares as a kid. So he's with uh, Luis on this. Another kid scared for life. Yeah. It's worth a watch for that sequence alone. As Conrad of Movie Oubliette says, it knocked him for six. Which, after Googling British aphorisms, I have to agree. (laughs) Wow. He didn't understand. Oh, I guess they don't play cricket over there. (laughs) They do not, no. And somebody else did say, I'm so sorry you had to learn cricket (laughs) to understand (laughs) anything about that. So, yeah. And I replied and said, well, I don't even like cricket. I only participate because of the cream teas. And then he had to look up cream teas. (laughs) So I was just making things worse. So... Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Uh, British culture for you. There you go, yeah. Cake and balls and bats. (laughs) And a game that takes days. It's just pointless. Mm. I don't get it. We're rubbish at it as well. Doesn't Australia beat us every time? I don't know. I don't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. Anyway, thanks everybody for getting in touch. We always love hearing from you. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So, Conrad, what are we going to be discussing today? Well, let's amble on over to the oubliette and uh, find out. Oh, seem to be in a very dingy living room. And oh, there's a weird baby on the floor. What's it doing? It's growing or something. Oh, that's really freaky. Oh, now it's a full grown man and he's nude. Oh, inappropriate. (laughs) Okay, thanks for the Blu-ray. I'm coming back. Hey. Take it easy. Well, that was an eyeful. Oh, yes. Too many balls. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Seven of them. (laughs) So So what do we have? I have with me Starman, the 1984 science fiction romance film directed by none other than John Carpenter, which makes that our second John Carpenter film for the year. What was the first one? It was oh, Ghosts of Mars. Of course. How could I forget? Which we, <laughs> yes, which we talked to Sandy King Carpenter about. Yeah. Uh, it's written by Bruce A. Evans, Reynold Gideon, and an uncredited Dean Reisner. Stars Jeff Bridges, Karen Allen, Charles Martin Smith, and Richard Jekyll. Ooh. So what happens in this movie? Is it a horror? No, it's not. It's not, no, but it's... It, feels like it could be the way it starts, as I just described. After an alien spaceship intercepts the Voyager 2 probe and listens to its warm message of greetings from planet Earth, the higher intelligences dispatch one of their kind to pay us a visit. The alien is immediately shot down and forced to go on the run, cloning the body of a dead Arizonan house painter called Scott and abducting his widow, Jenny, to drive him to his rendezvous in an enormous crater. On the road, the alien learns what it is to be human by eating apple pie, resurrecting dead deer and falling in love. Mm. But will the star-struck couple get to the extraction point in time for his intergalactic Uber, or will the evil government (laughs) catch up with them and do a bit of anal probing? Find (laughs) out. (laughs) Yes. Let's get romantic, Conrad. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) let's.
And we're back to talk about Starman, the 1984 romantic sci-fi starring Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen. Dan, you said in the tail end of our last episode that you saw this in the theatre. I did. I'm shocked. Well, I didn't see it when it was released, but I'll tell you the story of how I saw it. So yeah. there's this movie theatre in Melbourne called The Astor. It's in St Kilda. And it's an old Art Deco theatre that's been renovated. So it's still retained its sort of Art Deco architecture and decor. So it's a beautiful, beautiful theatre. But it always seems to be like almost shutting down. Like they always seem to be running out of money sort of. But they do play a lot of old movies and a lot of double bills as well. So Mm -hmm. me and my friend Julian, uh, we went to see a double bill of Terminator. Mm Mm-hmm. And Starman. Okay. Which at the time I thought was an odd pairing, quite different movies, but kind of similar, you know, to fish out of water characters navigating the modern life of of America, yeah. I guess. And both feature people from a sort of science fiction other place yes. turning up naked in exactly. 1984 and abducting a woman at gunpoint. Yes, so. exactly. exactly. <laughs> I can see that. I can see it. <laughs> but it was a bit of an ordeal for us to get there because I think I'd forgotten to print out the movie ticket, so we had to go to a internet cafe and print it out, and then we were late for the movie, <laughs> so we showed up like 10 minutes into Terminator, and then also because it was quite far away from where I used to live, we had to leave the cinema early, so oh. I didn't end up watching the end of Starman <laughs> in that sitting because we had to catch a last tram home, oh. so it was, it was a bit of an ordeal, but <laughs> that's how I saw Starman for the first time, and then... Yeah, I think a few days later we ended up hiring it or something and watching the end of the film. And that's how I saw Starman. But I did see it on the big screen. Wow. Well, I have not seen it on the big screen. This was one of the films that I remember renting from a video store, if anyone can cast their minds back (laughs) to when they existed. Yes. And this would have been in the 80s and it would have been on the strength of knowing who John Carpenter was and expecting a science fiction horror film, I guess, Mm. or some sort of thriller. But this is quite a different film for him. It's very different. Mm. Very, very different. I mean, first of all, not horror. Nope. Second of all, it's a road movie? Has he ever done a road movie? No, I don't think so. It's a format I quite like as a storytelling device. Mm. You know, lots of location shooting in a sense of people forced together over a long journey and meeting different people along the way and learning something about themselves. And at the end of it, you always feel as though you've been on a bit of a journey yourself. Of course. Don't you? Yeah. 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 I did like that, and I did like the aspect of, you know, it's a tour de force of America. You see all the great cities Mm. and all the great people, but I felt like the movie really lacked in characters that you would remember. Like, I felt like there were all these really kind and generous characters along the way Mm. that just either gave them information or offered help, but they weren't memorable at all. No. They gave them cake or told them where (laughs) Starman had gone or or I don't know. Like it didn't have the same uh, effect that road movies tend to have where you do have memorable characters. Like, oh, that was a crazy guy that was dressed like Elvis or that person (laughs) was something distinguishable or significant about each character. But in this movie, not really. No, not really. So the focus, therefore, is very much on the two two. main characters. Yes. Let's get into that. So you have Jeff Bridges playing 
an alien in a cloned body of a guy who died young, presumably, and left Karen Allen's character, Jenny Hayden, Mm. a widow. So she's faced with this situation where she's being abducted by an alien in her dead husband's body. Yes. That's a pretty amazing premise. That's a great setup for a movie. I mean, it is a great setup, but it's also kind of horrifying. Yes. I mean, I guess I don't want to get into the themes quite yet, but I do feel like if we really sit down and analyse the themes of this movie, it's a little bit disturbing. It's problematic. (laughs) And yeah, it is flagged up in something like the Pop Culture Detective did a fantastic video essay about abduction romance. Mm. So we can talk about that. But the very beginning of the movie, it does feel very much like a John Carpenter movie. And because it has this amazing special effects sequence of this baby growing to a full grown (laughs) naked Jeff Bridges, which features the combined talents of Dick Smith, Rick Baker and Stan Winston. Wow. Three titans of practical and prosthetic makeup effects of the period, all working on the same movie. It's the only movie where that's ever happened. They divided the work between them. So Rick Baker did the baby with the glowing head. Stan Winston did the toddler with the stretchy legs. And then Dick Smith did the stop motion animation, which I think is probably the least successful part of it. Oh, the eyes? Yeah, I know. It's yeah, it's not great. <laughs> but not just that, but just the way that it's shot, the way that it's scored, the way that it's edited. It looks like an ice-cold, terrifying suspense movie with a grotesque and disturbing transformation sequence. Mm. If you didn't know what this movie was going to be, if you went in cold, you would think this is terrifying. This yeah. is going to be a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, obviously my horror core loved the first 20 minutes. Like yeah. it's like a thriller, horror, sci-fi, all packed into one. And then for the rest of the film, just straight drama. Yes. Dealing with loss and grief and love and humanity and existentialism, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Like a very different movie. (laughs) Yeah, it does swerve off into a different territory quite rapidly. It was interesting as an experience I remember as a kid, you know, I was interested in the sci-fi premise and the opening and seeing this alien and seeing the occasional special effect, although there aren't that many of them once it gets into the movie proper. Mm. A few crash sequences, a few bits of magic with ball bearings. Yes. (laughs) I did like, I thought they looked great though. All the special effects scenes did actually look really good. Okay, not all of them. No. Most of them. Most of them, Um, yeah. But all the blue light (laughs) stuff I really did like, as cheesy as it did kind of come across. And that crash explosion. Yeah. Just fantastic. Like, what a spectacle to to witness. And all practical as well. The spaceship coming down. Yeah, and and just the explosion into the forest and the fireballs and, oh. Yeah. Wow. So apparently, so Roy Arbogast, I think, was doing the practical special effects on the site for that. And because (laughs) they tried it two or three times, I think, the first few times, because it was all wet, it sort of fizzled and didn't do much. (laughs) So on the third night, he was like, right, I'm going to blow the shit shit out of this (laughs) 
So, yeah, wow. That's huge. <laughs> it is huge. It's the kind of thing that would be completely irresponsible now ecologically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just in terms of carbon footprint, it would not be a good idea. I can't even imagine how, how many <laughs> ecosystems are destroyed. <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, yes. And yeah, and nowadays there'd be the problem that you would never be able to put it out. Mm. So, yeah, it is impressive when you have the car chases and the crashes into fuel tankers and things. You know, it's not without spectacle and special effects. Mm. So, as a kid, I enjoyed that. And meanwhile, you know, I watched it with my family as a kid. So, my mum's enjoying the romance. Right. So, it kind of was a film for everybody. Sure. And I'm not sure that it was a massive success at the time. It had a budget of 24 million. It grossed 28. It came out in Christmas of 84 and it was competing against Beverly Hills Cop. Right. Which just wiped the floor with the box office. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of went under the radar. And because it's not typical of John Carpenter's oeuvre, mm. if I can use that fancy word, People just, when they look back on his films and sort of resurrect them for reappreciation, they're thinking about The Thing, they're thinking about Big Trouble in Little China, they kind of skip over this one. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not Carpenter. It's 90% drama, character study, I guess, with mainly just two characters. Yeah. I did really like the sort of fish out of water. It was kind of a little bit standard, you know, you've got your alien and he doesn't know how to do anything. So he's trying to figure out the lingo and figure out like turns of phrases. And I did kind of find similarities between this and Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean. <laughs> the Mr. Bean movie. Oh my God. <laughs> so the Mr. first Mr. Bean movie where he goes to America and he can't figure out the culture in America and he's like <laughs> flipping the bird. And it's, it's a kind of similar approach to um, Starman's character. Um, they never actually call him Starman in the movie though. No. It's, he's never given a name at all in the entire movie. Yeah. He's just credited as Starman. Yeah, so. yeah. I did love his kind of odd uh, mannerisms. Like he was really twitchy. Yeah. He was kind of like darting around, which I heard was based on a bird. He based his <laughs> character on how birds move, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I love the fact that he just gives you this sense of what would it be like for a completely different intelligence that's not even corporeal. I mean, he shows up as a blue light. Mm. So I don't think they have a physical presence at all. Right. these aliens okay and all of a sudden he's in a physical body trying to figure out how to move it around and he's not very good at it and it's just the little touches that i really like like the fact that he doesn't part his lips before he starts speaking so at the beginning of many of his line readings there's this smacking noise yeah because he's just opening his mouth on the first syllable whereas we learn not to do that yeah yeah and yeah his twitchy movements yeah based on a bird and also work that jeff bridges did with a dancer on mm, developing sure. the physicality and he was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Jeff Bridges. The only Carpenter movie to be nominated. Really? Wow. Yeah, I guess that doesn't surprise me. I would have thought somebody would have been nominated for a technical category. No. But... Apparently the composer also got nominated for Best Score for this movie as well. Oh, What's yeah. Isn't that Jack Nietzsche? Yeah. Yeah, going so. back to Jeff Bridges' character, the way he talked, mm. the way he enunciated was so strange. Yeah. Like it's almost over-enunciating. His mouth was moving far too much. Yeah. And all the inflections were all out. Yeah. <laughs> 
But there was kind of a progression to his speech. By the end of the movie, he almost talked quite normally. Like he'd figured it out and he added like more of an American accent by the end of the movie. Yeah. But he he does go through all these kind of impressions of other accents from the space recording that he'd retrieved from the satellite or the whatever that was shot out into space. So I loved his range. Mm. It is so subtle, his performance. It is subtle, yeah. And he does have an arc. He clearly starts as very aloof and cold and very focused. And you do believe that he falls in love in a sense during the course of the movie, not only with Jenny, who is helping him, but also with humanity and with his physicality. Mm. There are some scenes cut from the film that Jeff Bridges was quite sad about. There was a scene where they show up at one hotel and there's a bunch of students there and they cut a scene where he was line dancing with them and really enjoying being in a group of people doing a physical activity, Mm, which is sad, but they cut it for pace. So that sort of explains why the students randomly help them escape ah, from that motel when that the authorities show up. That would make more sense, yes, yes. Because there's a lot of people that help them for no reason and I, yeah. a, a great risk to themselves and I don't understand and why. And they just but, jump yeah. to it, like mm. like the guy with the hot rod <laughs> that yeah. just happens to have this really speedy car. It's like, I will help, yes, let's go. Let's just drive this random stranger out west as fast as I can. Yeah. I don't know. And like, then when we get to a roadblock, I will set off a Molotov (laughs) cocktail with a gas canister and speed away so he'll probably be arrested for some sort of terrorist act. Yeah. Because Jenny asked him to and she's Karen Allen and she's lovely. I don't... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why that happened. I was really confused by just the lack of character development with side characters. Like, if you're Mm. trying to showcase the generosity and kindness of humanity, like, you have to give us a little bit more Mm. than someone that goes, hey... The police are trying to steal your car. You know, like, okay, who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, do we know this guy? <laughs> well, you would have done, I think. There would have been a scene yeah, that would have, would course, have featured yes, them. But yes, the waitress yes. as well. I mean, I do think that's a lovely bit of character acting, the waitress. You always have to have a waitress in these movies. We have that in Howard the Duck, too. Yeah, yeah. A really memorable character. But I think that's kind of, it's the backbone of America, though. Like, the diners and, yeah. and the waitresses and... It's so part of American culture, it seems. How about Karen Allen's character, um, Jenny? What did you think of her arc and her falling in love eventually? Well, it helps that it's Karen Allen, who's just immediately adorable. She's not hugely famous or well-remembered. Raiders of the Lost Ark is probably the film that people most remember her for. Mm -hmm. She's probably the best sidekick that Indiana Jones ever had, which is why they brought her back for the fourth one. Right. The best one. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with that opinion online. Um, No, and she was also in Scrooged with Bill Murray. Oh, right, yes. I absolutely adore Karen Allen. Mm. I mean, she is astonishingly beautiful and she just sees him so wide open. I think it's because of her eyes. She has such incredible eyes and... It is a very vulnerable but gutsy performance. It's an interesting combination. And you do see her going from being this tortured widow who... I don't know why people who have lost someone just spend hours at the beginning of movies looking at photographs or home movies. Mm. It seems like an unwise thing to do, but... I guess it's a way of visually getting across what they've lost. Yeah. 
Yeah. It seemed to me that it was a recent death as well. And yeah. I, I feel like did. she was still grieving. Did she say 11 months ago? I so, can't yeah, remember. it's not that long ago. So, yeah, she goes from that and then she goes from seeing him reborn in her lounge as an alien mm. and being utterly terrified. I mean, I was convinced by just how terrified she is. And she does have an opportunity to escape but then changes her mind and then tries to help him mm. because she can see that fundamentally he doesn't mean her or anybody else any harm. And then towards the end of the movie, of course, she falls in love. But then you've got the question of who is she in love with? Is she in love with a higher intelligence from another planet or is she in love with the memory of her dead husband? And then you have the whole question of is it Stockholm Syndrome is she just falling in love with her captor? But then she did get away at one point and he even lets her go. Well, he doesn't let her go. He brings her back to life and then leaves her and goes off mm. on his own. And she actually has to track him down. When you get into the area of pop culture detectives, excellent analysis of abduction as romance in movies being a really bad trope that reinforces <laughs> yeah. appalling abusive behavior in relationships. This one is a tricky one to analyze because it's not as clear cut and obviously bad as many of those movies are like Overboard, for example, yeah. where Kurt Russell abducts a woman and forces her to be his wife, yeah. which is terrible. Yeah, or well, a lot of Harrison Ford movies from the 80s. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of early Bruce Willis movies. Pretty much most of the action movies that had some sort of damsel in distress in the 80s and 90s as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think this movie is slightly different because I feel like he's not that forceful. Mm. Like, he doesn't really enact that much violence towards her. He's not shoving her in the car or anything. He's not tying her up. Like, there seems to be a level of compliance on her part. Like, she seems to be complying by her own volition. But yeah, my main issue is the whole romance thing because she is clearly not dealing with grief. Yeah. She is not dealing with the loss of her husband. She is, yeah, just replacing him with this being that just happens to look like her husband and is a moderately nice guy. And she's just going, okay, this is fine. This will do. Yeah, for my husband, I'm in love with you. Let's have sex in a train, <laughs> which I don't know. It just feels wrong to me. Like it totally does feel like Stockholm syndrome mixed with like unable to deal with grief and loss. And I'm not sure whether I I want that. I, I don't know whether I agree with that as a that's the theme of the movie, the happily ever after. And she now has a baby from this weird alien guy that. <laughs> Looks like a dead husband. Yeah, the baby thing is problematic because there's a lack of consent there. I mean, not in terms of when they have sex because she's clearly consenting to that. Yes. But to wake up in the morning and say, because she establishes earlier on that she's physically not capable of having a child. Mm. And then after they have sex, he says, I've used my magical alien semen to... Yes, you, you have know, baby now. You have baby it's now. It's a boy. And then it's a baby boy. I've given you the ability to have a child he will be my child but he will also be scott's child genetically yes. so you're going to get the best of both worlds and then he says if you don't want it i'll stop it yeah uh, that's not quite the same as asking before you do it mm. is it mm. i think there's a key difference between i could fix that and you could have scott's child 
and it could be partly me or it could just be genetically Scott. I can do either. Mm. What would you like? That I'd be fine with that. But by the way, I've given you this weird alien human hybrid of your dead husband. <laughs> yeah. I can abort it now if you want. Yeah. It's a whole mess. I kind of feel like I'm mansplaining even attempting to navigate yeah, what yeah. that means emotionally. But all I know is it has red flags sticking out of it all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I did also see similarities between this movie and The Shape of Water, right. that um, Guillermo del Toro movie, which also has a romance with a, another species yeah. that is clearly not human. Yes. I feel like there seems to be much more of a love story in that because she's not replacing her husband with a creature that looks like her husband. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this, it just seems like almost cruel mm. I mean he justifies it when he <laughs> we can get into in the movies with the quote but he says that he took the appearance of her husband so that she wouldn't be so scared but mm. I don't know it just seems almost like torture yeah like I feel bad for Jenny like oh god having to go through the loss of your husband and then the rebirth of your husband but he's an alien yeah what that's traumatic. That's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is. You're right. That's deeply problematic. <laughs> and I'm not clear who she's in love with at the end of it, or even if she knows whether you can separate the image of your husband from the memory of him and this alien. She says that she can. There's a scene in the bathroom where he says something about, you said that I look different because my nose isn't broken and there's something about the eyes mm. that's not quite right. So I think she looks at him and is capable of not seeing her husband, but that's, I yeah. know, it's problematic. I, I feel like there was only one scene that showcased how he was as a character, human entity, mm. the deer scene, yeah. where he you know brought it back to life and it showed his love of living things. And that was a very magical moment, but I kind of wanted more of that. Like there weren't any other scenes they were just on the mission to get to arizona and that was it yeah i guess well you have that scene which is the scene where she is colluding with the waitress to escape on a bus and because she sees him resurrect the deer she stays mm. especially after he gets beaten up by the evil rednecks yes, of course. including ted white who played Jason Voorhees in Friday Did the Thirteenth? Oh, that's the connection. That's the connection. <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, which is my favourite one because it's got Crispin Glover dancing in it. Oh yes, okay. <laughs> I'll get to that eventually. You will. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think it's a couple of things. It's the deer, and then you know, he gives her a baby, and then he brings her back to life. Yeah, but she's not even aware that that has even happened. Well, she's not even aware that she's died. Is she? Maybe not. She just wakes up. Yeah. And he's gone and she's got different clothes on. I don't know. I feel like she doesn't even know that it happened. That's a possibility, actually. She doesn't know that he resurrected her. Because, I mean, if she knew, then yeah, that would add to her falling in love with him. But I don't know whether she does. No, I don't know whether she does. You're right. I hadn't realised that. <laughs> and he wouldn't tell her. No. Because he doesn't brag about the things that he does. No. He just gets on with it, doesn't yeah. he, really? 
Yeah, that's tricky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I feel like there needed to be more moments showing who he was. Mm. But there really weren't, I don't know. No. So I don't know what she's in love with at the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I can see why he's in love with her. Yeah. You can't help but fall in love with Karen Allen, let's be honest. But also he comes from an alien species that has achieved, you know, perfection. It's utopia up there. Mm -hmm. There's no hunger. There's no violence. Nobody preys upon the weak. They just live in complete harmony. But then he says, but we've lost something. Mm, And that's the thing that he's experiencing here on Earth. Uh, And he talks quite eloquently about what he finds most beautiful about human beings, which we will also get to in the movie, I suspect. But yeah, you get some sense of who he is but not a great deal. Yeah, um, most of the time it's just him trying to figure out humans and trying to figure out what a little bit means or all of these words and and gestures and mannerisms that that we humans have and that that's kind of his... Most of the time that's his stick with every scene. Like, oh, he said something weird. Mm. That's funny. Like, it is your classic fish out of water movie like so many movies with aliens coming to Earth or, or some AI or robot or... I haven't actually seen it. My favourite Martian. Oh, right. Was one came yeah. to mind, which I haven't seen. It's like a 50s comedy TV show that got made into a shitty 90s movie that I never watched. <laughs> Third Rock from the Sun. Right, yeah. They're all aliens. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Men in Black, mm-hmm. the first one with Bud played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and even like The Fifth Element with Lilu. Yes. Normally a lot of those movies are, I mean, they're all sci-fi, but they're all either comedies or they're horrors. Mm-hmm. Species is like a horror movie that comes to mind. Yeah. And this movie is so different to that because it is much more of a drama with, I mean, it does definitely have comedic elements, but it's it's a different take on it. And it was... I remember watching the first time, it was quite hard to take seriously because obviously he's an alien. <laughs> so, yeah. And he's so odd. Yeah, and it's such an earnest film as well in its tone, mm. which again feels a little bit awkward in the hands of John Carpenter, who we know is pretty cynical, yeah, sure. <laughs> certainly about humanity. I mean, it does have an anti-establishment. I mean, the distrust of the government and the military comes through quite clearly, just like Fly to the Navigator with evil but well-meaning NASA of that too. chasing after. It's the same with yeah. E.T. It, it's, it's kind of the 80s sci-fi alien it is now et looms large over this production so obviously that had smashed all box office records two years earlier in 82 and this film was in development at columbia along with starman at the same time and they had to pick the executives which one are we going to green light right and they went with starman and they rejected et oh oh dear (laughs) oops So, yeah, so they regret. I mean, a lot of people rejected E.T. They just thought it was this, you know, pointless, cutesy child's movie. But of course, it went on to become massive. Mm. And Starman is effectively E.T. for adults. Really is. Yeah. Yeah. Pet alien trying to keep it away from the authorities and get it back to the spaceship and then tearful goodbye. The only difference being that this time it's human in form. It looks like Jeff Bridges. It's ripped and you get to have sex with it at one point. So it's. That's really the only difference. And John Carpenter did do it as an apology, he says, for The Thing, 
He said, Starman was an assignment. This was a big apology for the thing because everybody was blaming me for it. It was not well received at the time. I had to go down on my knees and the only way I could do it was to make this little love story a girl movie. So I did and it was fun to make. I enjoyed it and I have no regrets. Hmm. So he was really acting as a gun for hire, okay. just trying to apologise for a film that came out in the same year as E.T. and everybody, they saw this cute alien and it was all lovely and warm-hearted and beautiful and then they went and watched The Thing and it was grisly and disgusting and paranoid and terrifying and ended with this nihilistic dilemma and this cold, icy mm. flip side of everything that E.T. stood for. That sure. It was a really strong negative reaction to it. Of course, now people tend to be dismissive of E.T. and valorise The Thing. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. It does loom large in the background of Starman. Yeah, yeah. It's so strange that he he calls this a girl movie. He does, even in the commentary track. <sighs> I don't I don't know. If I was a girl watching this, I would feel a bit unnerved. I don't know though, because there's a lot of this kind of thing <laughs> in romantic material that's aimed at women, if it's literature or film. I mean, you look at Twilight. Yeah. It's not a healthy relationship. This immortal, brooding guy that could kill you at any minute, stalking you. Yeah. And then you, if you've ever watched any of those YouTubers where they read somebody's crazy fan fiction, there's a lot of yeah. kidnapping and tying up and being stranded on a desert island with a celebrity and being treated like shit. There, there's an allure there as a fantasy. I don't know. Uh, it's so hard for me to grasp, though. It is. Like it just seems wrong. <laughs> It does. I mean, the other one that you mentioned that's quite interesting, you talk about Lilu from The Fifth Element. That's another one, that a uh, trope that I became aware of through Pop Culture Detective. With yes, his... the whole born yesterday romance. Yeah, born sexy yesterday. And here we have it gender flipped with Jeff Bridges growing up from a baby in Karen Allen's living room, buff and ready to rumble. Yeah, but his consciousness isn't born <laughs> yesterday, though. But he's presented very childlike. He's naive. He doesn't know what he's doing he walks like a toddler but he's childlike because he's not he's in a different body though yeah i think that's different i guess like lulu was literally born yesterday like she is a new human ah mm. oh, it's different it's probably a more positive or at least a less reprehensible version of it to have a higher intelligence in a full-grown human yeah. body show up and yeah. be naive and need to be nurtured and looked yeah. after and protected. Yeah, but still a mature consciousness. It's not like Big, yeah. where he's a child mm. and then he's suddenly an, an adult and <laughs> yeah. having sex. Yeah, You've just had sex with a child. Uh, <laughs> so. it's, it's really problematic, <laughs> isn't it? I never understood the allure of that movie. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, if you look at all of these aspects of it, it is a bit of a mess. So I guess the question is just emotionally watching it as a viewer, does it work? And I would say yes. I'm not sure. You're not sure? I'm undecided. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also the fact that he is her dead husband. Mm. Like, he looks like her dead husband. Yeah. I, I can't, I don't know whether I can agree with that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Now it's time for Random Trivia! So Dan, what fascinating nugget of trivia did you revitalise on the boot of someone's car today? <laughs> so I did read this uh, somewhere, possibly IMDb. 
I think it's true. Uh, so the scene where Jeff Bridges, the star man, has first arrived and he's outside and he's doing the blue ball thing and there's blue lights everywhere. He looks quite strange, <laughs> like his hair's standing on end. Uh, so apparently how they achieved that is they just hung him upside down. So he's just right. upside down <laughs> and that's why he looks so odd. <laughs> and it works. Yeah. He looks very strange. He does. And it's well composited onto the shot. You can't see any seams on that shot at all, whereas some of the other ones, the opticals aren't great. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Simple effect, well executed. Yeah, very strange. Did you have some? I had some extra ones. This this is more sort of Oscar trivia. So it's tempting to say that Jeff being nominated for a Best Actor Oscar would be the first example of somebody being given that honour or receiving that kind of recognition for a sci-fi movie. But it's not actually oh. true, as it turns out. Cliff Robertson won a Best Actor Oscar in 1968 for a film called Charlie, where he played the titular character, an adult with learning difficulties whose intellect is boosted through an experimental scientific procedure, but it slowly dwindles oh. away, the effects dwindle. So it's kind of a sad drama. Oh. And he won for that. But as shortly afterwards, the Academy... Uh, was later reported to be concerned about Robertson's excessive and vulgar solicitation of votes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was, it was rigged. Yeah, he kind of begged for the Oscar, which they thought was a bit distasteful. I mean, obviously, right. they, <laughs> this was an innocent time. This was back in the days when you didn't do much campaigning, um, right. which is why the nomination still means a lot to Jeff Bridges, because... His peers actually nominated him. It wasn't as a result of one of these dirty tricks campaigns that Miramax <laughs> yeah, used to right. do, for example, in the 90s. Yeah, before it became the corrupt system that it is now. <laughs> yes. So that's our trivia. Yes. All right, technical aspects. Mm -hmm. The score was pretty good. Like a lot of Synclavier again, um, sampled yeah. like, like real instruments. Apparently, Jack Nietzsche, Nietzsche, is that how you pronounce his name? I think so. Um, sampled his wife. Mm. And that's why that's got that kind of vocal quality to some of the synths, which I, I really liked. It's quite ethereal. Yeah. Much like Mark Snow when he did the X-Files, I think it's his wife doing the whistling. <laughs> right, the right. Tune. And it's uh, Peter Jackson, his wife is doing the screaming. <laughs> For the of the Nazgul, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and I do get my wife and my projects as well. So yes, it's an ongoing thing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unusual that John Carpenter not score his own movies, but of course, as he found himself being embroiled in, you know, as a gun for hire in a studio project, mm. he would often find himself not being asked to score his own movies. So the thing was Ennio Morricone or Morricone. I've never been clear on which way you should say. Sure. This is Jack Nietzsche. Uh, he had done Christine the year before for Columbia, but for some reason they got Jack Nietzsche to do this. But it is very carpentry. It's entirely synthesized. It's monothematic. It's not too showy or Mickey Mousey. It's mm. very repetitive and paddy and it's quite um it's quite stays in the background. Central? Mm. I don't know whether that's the right word. Yeah, yeah. Like just very soothing mm. pads. And I guess, I mean, obviously it fits the whole romance part of the movie. Yeah, and I love the main theme. 
Yes, the main theme is. I think the main theme great. is beautiful. It's great, and it, it pops up again and again, so you really get to know it. It does what thematic material should do. Yeah, for scores, exactly. In terms of the direction, it's almost not John Carpenter. I mean, you can see a lot of him at the beginning, for example, but for the most of the film, he just kind of gets out of the way. I feel mm, like yeah, it is very natural. Like I mean, it does the whole road movie aesthetic. A lot of intimate shots, close ups, and really does focus in on the two main characters. And yeah, a lot of natural lighting. It wasn't too sci fi esque. No, it wasn't weird lighting or anything. There's a lot of long takes as well. That was one thing I noticed. Mm. They're not showy ones. They're not like oh look at this single take, isn't it amazing? It was just things that just letting scenes play and not cutting all of the time necessarily to get a reaction. Mm. Just simple shots like the scene outside the bathroom at the gas station where you see the trucker that he later interacts with pull up and get out at the beginning of the shot. Mm -hmm. And you have the whole business with Jenny going in the ladies and him trying to follow her and her telling him, no, you don't go in this one. Mm -hmm. And by the time she goes in and he stood out, the truck has come back. And that whole thing, it's all one continuous shot. So it's got a very sort of laid back unimposed it's not a big sort of showy directorial film he just gets out of the way of the actors and it seems to be much more of a working with the actors on the characters and the story mm. kind of assignment and because it's so i mean i think it's good i mean as a drama i think it works so well it's kind of sad that john carpenter didn't get more opportunities yeah. to do things like this yeah blockbuster movies summer movies as he didn't seem to have gotten many opportunities to do something like that and maybe that's what this was it was a bid to try and widen his palette mm. yeah i wish he'd done more movies where it did focus on just acting and dialogue mm -hmm. instead of just you know gore effects and style over substance like some movies that were <laughs> <laughs> later directed um yeah and because this did really it had a lot of room to breathe. Mm -hmm. And I think Jeff Bridges did have a lot to do with his character as well. And so Carpenter did let him just, yeah, okay, let's do that. Let's do the bird thing. Let's have you talk however you want to talk. And I felt like there was a lot more room for the actors to sort of utilize their acting chops and developing characters, more in-depth characters and vulnerable as well. Yeah. Especially with Jenny. Yeah. And some great choices like the final shot in the movie, which just focuses on Jenny's face, which tells you everything about what the focus of the film is. It's not the hardware. It's not the ship lifting off mm. and taking him away. It's her. She's the focus. Yes. What a fantastic way to end the movie and what a great way to underline what the movie really is about. Mm-hmm doesn't change the fact that you're still deeply concerned about what the movie's about. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of taints the memory of her husband, doesn't it? Do you think so? Because now when she pictures her husband, she's going to picture an alien. <laughs> Rather than the picnics <sighs> where they used to sing yeah. dream, dream, dream together. I don't, that's, oh, that's got to mess with you. You're left with a lot of troublesome questions like, what's her experience of raising this child going to be like? Isn't she going to still be hounded by the authorities? Isn't the first thing they're going to do is take her away and cut her up? I don't know. I can't see what the future is for Jenny. I can't mm. imagine it being great. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. 
Yes, it's the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favourite blue alien marble parts of the film in a number of <laughs> terrifically delicious Dutch apple pie categories. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Best quote. I think probably the most famous quote in the movie in terms of being profound and lovely is when Starman tells uh, the Charles Martin Smith character, the, the SETI scientist, what he finds beautiful about humanity. He says, you are at your very best when things are worst. And that's a really nice observation. Mm. And I suppose it's backed up by what happens in the film because everybody seems to help him, although I don't really understand why. But I do think it's true. I think there is a nugget of truth there whenever you watch something like documentaries about 9-11 or some other disaster all of a sudden everybody is just reduced down to their basic humanity and everybody helps mm. each other and they're sensible and caring and giving towards each other yeah so i think he's right i'm not quite sure how he arrived at that but i think he's right <laughs> i hope he's right yeah john carpenter doesn't think he's right he says that on the commentary he doesn't believe yeah. it <laughs> i think there's a little bit of truth in that i um, think there is quotes for me I, I've, there are so many, actually. I know. I, it's a very well-written movie. There are so many, and most of them are delivered by Starman himself because yeah. he's just amazingly <laughs> has the best quotes. Uh, I just like his, his just very inappropriate responses. Um, so when Jenny is trying to get answers she's like why have you abducted me like who are you what's going on and he just replies by singing uh, the Rolling Stones (laughs) I can't get no satisfaction and it's just (laughs) it's great (laughs) it's inappropriate but yeah it's it's amazing yeah best hair or costume was there anything (laughs) I found this one really tricky because everybody's just wearing, you know, just it's not just that it's 80s clothes, but it's just clothes. normal clothes. <laughs> just timeless, normal flannel and puffer jackets and, and denim and cowboy yeah. boots and baseball caps. It could be any era, really. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about they're in the southern states that they're driving through and it's just kind of one of the thing about the southern states is it's cut you know things don't change very quickly but also people sort of dress practically Mm. for where they live so it's i don't know it seems to stay the same yeah (laughs) maybe i'm missing something I didn't. I couldn't yeah. pick out anything. No, the only thing I could think of is Jeff Bridges' arrival, which is yeah, born naked. <laughs> right. His entrance in the film is naked, and that's kind of a cliche. It fits into the born sexy yesterday, but also we talked about the Terminator and how Carl mm. uh, Reese shows up then naked from the future, and his star man naked from space. Mm. Most 80s moment. My most 80s thing mm-hmm. uh, was Jenny's Velcro wallet, which <laughs> Velcro yes. does not exist on wallets anymore. <laughs> no, that's true. You're right. I just It just stood out like, I can't believe a grown woman has a Velcro wallet. That's amazing. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right. That's a really good pick. I had one when I was a kid in the 80s. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. that was all the rage. Everyone had them. Yeah. Yeah, it died a death, didn't it? Is there Velcro anywhere now? Some shoes, I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Not great ones, though. <laughs> what was your 80s? 
Pick. Mine was uh, helicopter porn because, oh boy, <laughs> there's a lot of helicopter porn in this movie, including the director himself actually flying one. Oh, really? Which, yeah, wow. quite an eye-opener. You see him in the movie. He He's yeah there with his moustache, John Carpenter, with his headset on. I think he even has a line and he looks up at the spaceship as it comes down. But I thought it was just like cameo with him sat in the co-pilot seat but no he's yeah. flying the helicopter and wow. he had great fun doing it so so he's a, he's a certified pilot he is yeah i mean he's given wow. up his license uh, certainly by the time he recorded the commentary because he said you you really need to fly every day to be safe right, to keep up your right, skill right. level and he wasn't able to do it anymore at, at his age okay. so he he gave it up but yeah big helicopter nut Wow. Favourite scene! I really did like the little bit jumpy scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a kind of silly but uh, endearing moment. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it worked on so many levels for me. It was funny. It was it explained the, his situation and I don't know. Good moment between those two characters. Yeah. Exposition, emotional depth, entertaining keenly observed and the result of a payoff of something that's set up earlier on in the scene. It's great mm. writing and really well performed. Yeah, it is great. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Best scene? I'm just a sucker for that dear scene. It just... Ah, oh, yes. I well up even thinking about it. It's so simply done as well. It's not focusing on him. The camera's far away. It's on his back. It's a single take that's interrupted by a reaction shot on... Uh, Karen Allen mm. and all they did was obviously tranquilize the deer and then give it the antidote and run out of shot and then they just let Jeff Bridges just be with it as it woke up mm. and just see how the moment evolved and it, it's just beautiful the way that it's scored it really is and uh, what it means so yeah I'm a big sucker for that scene mm. most cliche sci-fi moment I've written, we come in peace, shoot to kill. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is something that we've seen before, ever since the day the Earth stood still. Also in E.T., where the government's trying to hunt down the alien. And, and it's even questioned and discussed in Explorers that the reason that they've invited River Phoenix and Ethan Hawke and Jason Presson up to space to meet them is because they know if they come to Earth, they'll just get shot. Um, mm. So it's that whole business of we send out Voyager 2 with this message saying, please come and visit us. Welcome to planet Earth, which is true. We actually did that. It's out there. It's still mm. floating around out there with a gold record on it. But I don't know whether it would go particularly well if anybody did come and visit us. So, but yeah, certainly I in the movies, so. it never works out well. No, no, it never does. <laughs> How about you? My cliche, sci-fi, I mean, it's the whole, yeah, alien fish out of water stories. It's kind of been done quite a lot. I would also like to mention that for some reason, aliens just make technology work miraculously every oh. time by just touching it. I don't know how it works, but they just, they just make things work. <laughs> they do, yeah even combustion engines and that doesn't see if it's electrical because he's changing the tv with his fingers the channel yeah that's fair true. enough that's like yeah. an electrical impulse but how is he fixing the car yeah because it's flooded or something i don't know yeah it doesn't make any sense i don't know <laughs> best special effect well i mean there's like three right mm -hmm. human growing 
from an infant is probably right up there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really good and shocking and horrific and yeah. right at the start of the movie as well. <laughs> I know, it's a bit of a slap in the face. Yeah, and, and you've got the combined talents of Rick Baker and Stan Winston and Dick Smith. I mean, mm. that's pretty astonishing. Oh, so Good collaboration. It's pretty eye-popping stuff. My favourite is the spaceship when it shows up because it's it's different you know it's spherical and entirely reflective kind of like the ball yeah. bearings he's carrying around it reminded the time. me of flight of the navigator yeah like the ship and that yeah kind of similar design yeah that's true yeah no i liked it because it was you know different it wasn't a great big lumbering piece of metal you couldn't quite figure out what it was mm. Yeah. It posed a technical challenge for industrial light and magic, of course, because in the days of blue screen compositing, how do you photograph a reflective object that's going to reflect the camera and the blue and you're not going to sure. be able to separate it out? So their solution was to create a gleaming white ball and then project shots from every angle in the canyon onto it, which would then curve round the white ball and then they would film that against blue screen. So they've got a solid object that looks like it's reflecting the environment it's in, but actually it's just an effect. Wow. And that works like a charm. So. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> Favourite sound effect. There's one scene where he retrieves the ball. You know, he just holds out his hand and oh, yeah. lovely <laughs> kind <laughs> of synth <laughs> sound as the yeah. ball's... Uh, kind of levitate into his hands. hands. Uh, I, I kind of like that. Just a really small, short sound. Yeah, I, don't know, I thought it was a little bit Mickey Mousey. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Very comical, but I kind of liked it. Oh, I thought I could have done without that. Just some sort of, I don't know. Just a whoosh. Impact noise. Yeah, it's just something that gave a sense of power rather than whoop. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> What was your favourite sound effect? Well, mine was just more of a sound design moment, and I think it's you that's made me aware of this in movies during the course of this podcast, which is the use of silence. And that is uh-huh. all the way through that sequence where he's being born and he's growing up. You're doing a classic John Carpenter tension-building thing of cross-cutting between him and Karen Allen, asleep and prone, half-naked in bed. And it builds and builds with this synth tone underneath it. And then all of a sudden when he's finished growing and he's moving around her house and you don't know what he's doing, it just cuts to a close-up of her eye opening as she wakes up and the sound goes dead. Mm -hmm. And you've had this synth tone for about three minutes during this really tense sequence ever since the the investigation of the hair strands and the DNA and all of that, it builds and builds and builds and then just goes dead. And that's such a great contrast and you are immediately yeah. worried for her. I really loved it. I thought it was great. Mm. Most funniest moment. Oh, I mean, I've already mentioned it. The little bit jumpy scene I thought was really funny <laughs> and also defined shit. <laughs> just, just, yeah, great. <laughs> My favourite is another one just like that. It's a setup and payoff again, which is earlier on you get to see a scene. It's a bit homophobic, but the scene where he walks in on the guy in the uh, restroom and the guy thinks that he's a voyeur or yes. chancing, you know, making a yeah. play for something. Yeah. Anyway, Starman says, take it easy and smiles and gives a thumbs up. And the guy says, up yours and sticks his finger up at him. Yeah. 
So later on, after the deer scene where he's attacked by Ted White, also known as Jason Voorhees, and they make their getaway after they've managed to escape from them, Jenny pulls away too fast and sprays gravel all over the guys and one of them shouts, take it easy. And as they're pulling away, you just see Starman through the window <laughs> mouthing up yours and sticking his finger up. And it's, it's not out of badness. He genuinely thinks that's the right response to that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's no malice there at all, but it's hilariously funny and it's a great capper to the scene and another great example of good yep. script writing. Mm, mm. And that's our movies. Yes. Hi, I'm Sandy King Carpenter, producer of movies like They Live, Prince of Darkness, In the Mouth of Madness, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, it's final verdict time. Should John Carpenter's Starman be released, beamed up into the sky and be broadcast across the universe, loved by all, or should it be made to get really hot and explode by some alien marbles and be thrown back (laughs) into the oubliette, (laughs) never to be seen again? Conrad, this was a patron's choice. It was, uh, yes. Pick. This was picked by our patron, Wicked Person. Yes. And, uh, yeah, we had both seen this movie before, me more recently. What's your What's your mm. final verdict, Conrad? Well, I grew up with this one. I remember being very surprised by it when I first saw it because I was expecting it's a John Carpenter movie. It has the John Carpenter font. It starts with a spaceship crash landing on Earth. I thought, here we go. It's going to be the thing too basically. And it's not. So I was surprised as a kid. I was sort of enchanted by it. And, you know, it had just enough spacey stuff to keep me hooked. As an adult, I'm, I'm a bit of a romantic. I still find it really touching and funny. I love the road movie aspect of it. I love the journey. I know it's problematic. I know it has hints of abduction romance in there. I know it has hints of Born Sexy Yesterday in there. Uh, you've made me aware of some whole new aspects of it, which is, you know, who is she in love with here? This is just a woman who's suffering from trauma being <laughs> exploited in all kinds of awful ways. But I, I don't know. I find it, it works for me just because of the strength of the two lead performances and how adorable they are. You know, I kind of feel like, yeah, this is problematic in all kinds of ways, but, you know, nobody's having a bad time here. He saved her life. He's given her a child that gives her something to remember him and her husband by. I I don't know. I I still feel really warmly towards it. I think it's a very well-crafted movie. I I think it stands the test of time. And I think if you've not seen it up until now, I I think you should. I think you should. But that's me. Mm. How do you feel about it? Uh, there are so many parts of this movie I do really love. I loved Jeff Bridges' character of Starman and him mm. dealing and adapting to this new body and new way of talking. And I loved all yeah. the, the really touching moments with Karen Allen's character, Jenny, and her vulnerability. She is so believable. Like, you really see that sort of love and, and adoration in her eyes towards her husband. I I love 
the fact that this movie was a complete sort of polar opposite of, of normal John Carpenter, focused on characters, focused on romance. Yeah, the whole premise was really interesting. But at the same time, I just, I don't know whether the end morals of this movie agree with me. Like, I don't know whether, <laughs> is it fine to pose as someone's dead husband and make them fall in love with them and then give them a child? <laughs> That's just, I can't, I can't grasp that. It just, my brain just doesn't <laughs> want that to be a good thing. Like, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I'm really torn. Like I, I loved all aspects of this movie, but the end takeaway just makes me feel a bit uneasy. Ah, oh, I yeah. don't know. He's not going to pay his childcare contributions, is he? Yeah, from space. Well, so she's yeah. now a single parent raising a an alien baby, that, and she's going to be hunted by the government. It's not good, is it? Yeah. I mean, essentially, you've got an alien that's come to Earth, posed as someone's dead husband, impregnated her, and then fucked off back to his home planet. <laughs> it just doesn't... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And and the fact that, like, she's going to have to deal with some weird idea of, of her child being from her husband, but not really from her husband, from some alien that she's somehow fallen in love with. And it's, oh, that's, that's going to screw you up for life. And your child's going to feel very, I don't know, that's messed up. <laughs> so. Yeah. As a counter argument, you could see it as this is the a best case scenario for first contact with an alien civilization that Jenny Hayden is our ambassador and that she manages to form this empathy and this bond and an, a, reach an understanding and become a mother of a new race and an entirely new future for humanity because she has so many wonderful qualities. She's the best person for the job and the future is female. It could be that. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. I mean, Sure. Sure. I mean, it's it's strange because uh, the sh the Shape of Water, which is a very similar movie, I really love. But at the same time, mm. it's like she's just had sex with a non-human, <laughs> with the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not not even a not even posing as a human or like mostly human. It's not even a human. It's it's like having a movie where someone has sex with a dog. And that's, that's the movie. It's just like, but I do love that movie. And, and I know that's yeah, problematic. So it's, it's oh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I should. There's a movie that won best film. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do feel like maybe I should let Starman be released. Purely on, on performance, like I did really love the performances. Yeah. And I, and I did, did you enjoy en the movie? That's the thing. Did I you enjoy enjoyed it? the movie. I did enjoy the movie. Yeah. But I just feel very uneasy at the end. <laughs> you feel conflicted, conflicted. about it. <laughs> okay. So what's your final verdict? I think let's release this. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm relieved but uncertain about its future. I think that's probably apt. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, let's just light up this glowing ball. <laughs> Off you go, Starman. You let go very fast. Ah, go and pregnate more woman. <laughs> no, don't do that. Ask their permission first. <laughs> this is key. Oh. 
dear. <laughs> so, so Conrad, what, what's our next movie? Anything scandalous? So we've been doing a lot of sci-fi and horror recently because, of course, it's been spooky season mm-hmm. and a lot of 80s. So we, I thought that maybe our next stop should be fantasy and it should be the 90s. So we're going to watch the 1997 American Gothic fantasy horror fairy tale movie. Snow White, A Tale of Terror. Mmm. I love these reimaginings of uh, classic fairy tales. Yes, I love a dark gothic twist on something <laughs> innocent and pure. Although apparently the originals were pretty terrifying well, as well. So maybe this true. is just more um, faithful to the oh, source yeah, material. Maybe. Who knows? But starring Sigourney Weaver, Sam Neill, Ooh. one of our favourites, Monica Keener, Gil Bellows and David Conrad. Right. Like that name. <laughs> so something to look forward to. Yes. And if you want to look forward to our episodes, listeners, you can follow us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as at. You can email us at movie.oubliet at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. Yeah, and, and please tell us if, if you were conflicted by Starman as well. Uh, or maybe you, you just thought it was a classic romance. Please, please tell us. Yes. And if you'd like to support the show, then head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you can nominate and vote on films for us to cover in future episodes and gain access to extended extra bits from the show, including full interviews from our special guests. Mm -hmm. And for $5, you get access to that monthly minisode where we cover a new and recently released film. Yes, our last episode was on VHS 94, the new Shudder release for Spooky Seasons. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Check it out, patrons. Yeah. Well, that's all for this episode, listeners. Uh, Stay tuned next episode. Bye for now. Goodbye. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and don't know not the movie you'll be yet. I look like Scott, so you do not be a little bit jumpy.